Well, without further ado now, let's look at our message this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll begin in verse 5 and work our way down to verse 11. We're still going to be touching on this theme of endurance this morning. Still on this theme of spiritual fatigue. Don't quit. Don't give up while running the marathon of faith, the life of faith. The remedy that we looked at in our last passage was how do you not fatigue out spiritually? You need endurance, just like a marathon runner needs endurance to not quit. We need endurance to face the pressures as a Christian and not quit. But again, how do we do that? Well, he said that's what Hebrews chapter 11 was all about. Look at those people, those heroes of the faith, be encouraged and see how they won, so to speak. They didn't quit and it was by faith. He said, remove the weights. Those were the heavy obstacles that hold you back from being able to press on. And the big one was sin. Remove the sins that trap us and keep us from pressing on. And then he said, keep your focus where it should be as a Christian in this life, not on the things going on around you as hard and important as they may be. Keep your focus on Jesus Christ. Why? He's the real winner. He's the author and perfecter of our faith, he says. So now then, today is sort of a picking up off that. And let's look at another idea about how do we keep pressing on in the life of faith and not quit. Well, the title is to put your problems in perspective. So put your problems in perspective this morning. This section he's going to deal with now is all about dealing with the pressures and the problems. We could call them hardships, the sufferings that as a Christian you may face in trying to live out your faith in this life. Again, problems meaning trials, and they could even be the consequences of our own sins. How do we press on through them? Christians face problems today just like everybody else. I've said that before, we know this. But again, the question is, why is the Christian life harder rather than easier? I mean, some people think that once you become a believer, you believe in Jesus, like shouldn't God just sort of smooth everything out in front of you? Because you're his child now, doesn't he love you? So it's all just kind of laid out flat. No, no issues, no road bumps. I won't belabor all that. We mentioned it last week, but let me just say a quick thing here. That's not just how it works. The Christian life is usually harder rather than easier. But again, why? Why does God do that? If God loves his children, doesn't he want them to be protected and safe and cared for and have no problems whatsoever? Well, that's not how it works for a few reasons. Because as a Christian, you need to understand by virtue of you physically living on this planet, in this life, in this culture even, you're in a hostile environment. Satan is your enemy, he's your foe. The Bible says he is, he's not passively sitting by, he's actively out on the, the look of the prowl like a lion seeking to devour you. So you have an enemy out to get you, that's going to make it hard. You're in an environment that's not friendly to the ideals of Christianity and Christian ethic. That's just not how it works. So just by virtue of you having an enemy and you being in a hostile environment, you're going to have problems. You're going to face challenges. The other one that we shouldn't overlook is our own selves. We are forgiven sinners, but the word sinner is still true about us. Yes, we're forgiven, but we still sin. We will always battle sin until we're in heaven. That may mean that some of our problems, if we're honest, they're our own fault. We fell into sin, we went off into a sin, and it didn't work out. So we have all those things working against us to say this, we're in a spiritual battle. We're always going to be in a spiritual battle until we're in glory. We're in a battle around us and within us, so to speak. Why does God, though, let his children that he loves 
go through problems, though. Because couldn't God take all of those things I just talked about and say, you know what, I'm powerful enough and I love them. They're my child, they're my son or my daughter in Christ. I will sort of put this hedge of protection around them. I'll put them in this spiritual bubble to where none of these issues, though, befall them. They'll not have any of these problems. Why would not God do that if he loves us as our Heavenly Father? This is what I want you to hang on to as we go through this message. God's parenting goal for you and I, for his children, is not our happiness. God's parenting goal is for your holiness. That's the key. God will always do whatever it takes to make you more like Jesus Christ. He will not do whatever it takes just to make you happy in this life. So we need to keep that in mind. Running the marathon of faith is not easy. We can get distracted. We can get worn out. Life is hard. There's pressures to quit. But here's the key. God uses those pressures, those problems, we'll call them, to make you better. Not to hold you back, not to make you worse, to make you better. God uses your problems in your life as a Christian to shape you and mold you, to make you who you're meant to be, which is like Jesus Christ. So that's the situation the Hebrews are in. They needed to be encouraged to press on with endurance and following Christ. The pressures were mounting for these people. They were facing financial pressures for naming Christ. They probably were disowned by family members, not allowed to enter certain places in Jewish society, all because they would dare say they have faith in Jesus Christ. So the challenge for them is to say, was this worth it? Should I go back to the old way? What's this been really all about? And he says, you need endurance. Don't quit. So again, I want to say to us as we walk through this, think about the problems you have in earthly life as a Christian. We all have them. You've had medical problems. You've had family problems, emotional problems, spiritual problems. I could keep going. I don't need to. You get the idea. There's problems everywhere. No different than Christians or non-Christians. Christians still have them too. So then the question before us is, if God brings those or lets those come into our lives, He has a purpose for them. And I said the purpose is to make you holy, more like Jesus Christ. Well, then here's what the message is going to be about. So then how, as a believer, do I really cope and deal with the problems that come into my life? And that's why I say put them in their proper perspective. Have the right mindset about your problems as a child of God. That's what they needed to do, and that's what we need to do as well. So let's look at it with that context this morning. If you would, please join me in standing for the reading of God's Word, starting in verse 5. I'll just read 5 through 7. He says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Let's pray for a moment. God, I ask now that you would bring all our thoughts to bear, that you would hold our attention to try and understand this very challenging and ironic concept that you do love us, and because you love us, you will put us through testing and trials and discipline. Not because you hate us, but because you love us and want to grow us to be more like Christ. And I ask that you would help us all to leave here today knowing more about how to face our problems by having the right perspective, your perspective. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Thank you. Please be seated. If you look back at Hebrews 12, verse 7, is kind of the key theme for the whole message. Notice the phrase he says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. That's where I'm getting this idea this morning is we need to endure. Well, what do we need to endure through? We need to endure through this idea he calls discipline. So how does a Christian then endure through discipline? In fact, some Bible translators, and I would agree with them, is some translations say uh, that you you have to endure the uh, you have to endure the discipline. That's what mine says. They they mean it like a command. This is what you're supposed to do. You have to endure. You must endure. Get through the discipline. Other Bible translations will make it sound more just like a statement, like it is for discipline that you endure. I just want to stress that I do believe he's giving us a charge. You have to. You must press on and endure through the discipline. Well, that begs this question. What in the world does he mean by discipline? What is he talking about? So he says it is for discipline that you have to endure. The answer for why they and us today as God's children face problems comes down to that idea right there. We face problems because God puts us through his divine discipline. That's why God uses our hardships. He uses our problems to discipline us. Well, what is discipline, though? I think when we hear the word discipline, we immediately think negative things. When we talk about discipline, we usually mean you did something wrong, so now you have to be punished. You have to be disciplined, we would say. Children, they get out of line, they violate the rules, and we say, oh, you got to be punished now. And we would say that's a type of discipline that was imposed on the child. That is one idea of discipline, but I want to say to you that the word here this morning in this passage does not always mean negative. It had a much bigger sense, a broader sense. The word literally in Greek does not have to mean punishment. It actually can just mean training, instruction, teaching. So I want you to think about it as we go through this passage. Discipline does not always mean a bad thing. Discipline just simply means when God teaches you what you need to know to get you where you need to be. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. It doesn't mean you did anything wrong. If I were to say you're under God's discipline, that does not always mean you sinned, therefore you're being disciplined. It simply means God is growing you. He's instructing you. He's training you. But he's using pressures and hardships in your life to grow and train you and instruct you. It means the act of providing guidance for responsible living. The word was used in the Roman world that this was written in. Sometimes if you were in a wealthy family, that uh, husband and father that had a lot of wealth, what they would actually do is they would hire a private tutor, a very knowledgeable type scholar, and they would tutor your son or daughter that was going to take over the reins of the family when you died one day. And that's where this word came from. It was the idea that the, the child was being disciplined. But again, it didn't mean bad. It meant they were being trained and taught everything they needed to know by this expert person to get them to that level. That is what God does for his children. So again, I stress as we go through this, don't think discipline automatically means punishment for sin. It can. It just simply means being trained and instructed to be grown. There's different types of discipline in the Bible. There's three big categories that when I studied this, a lot of other Bible teachers pointed to. I'll say them real quickly so we can all understand this. Sometimes discipline is corrective, we could call it. That's the punishment type. 
God will punish his children if they fall into sin. That's corrective discipline. That's, again, probably the more common that we're used to. There's an idea of this in 1 Corinthians 11, 31. Paul says, if we judged ourselves rightly or truly, we would not be judged. He means by God. So he says, if, if we did the right things, if we truly did what we were supposed to do, we would not be judged by God, meaning punished. Verse 32, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. He says, look, there are times a Christian falls into sin. God lovingly steps in as that father and puts punishment and discipline to correct them back. Then another type of discipline, we could call it preventative. That's when God introduces hardships in your life, not because he doesn't like you, not because you did anything wrong. It's because he doesn't want you to go do something wrong. He wants to prevent you from falling into a sin. Paul called something he that God introduced in his life, he called it a thorn in his flesh. Now there's debate over what that actually was, but here's the point to get from that. Paul says God gave him a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble, to keep him from becoming arrogant. You gotta remember, Paul was getting visions directly from God. And Paul says, I could have really become arrogant and said, look how special I am. So God introduced a hardship in Paul's life to prevent him from arrogance. The third kind of discipline is educational. You didn't do anything wrong. It's simply God introduces adversity in your life to teach you something that you need to know. It's sort of the no pain, no gain idea. If you never went through the trial, if you never went through the hardship, you wouldn't know what you knew now, looking back after what you just went through. Again, you didn't do anything wrong, but God led you through that to grow you because he wanted to teach you something. So as we talk about discipline, keep that in mind. Yes, it can be for punishment and to sin, but not always. So we're talking about the broad idea of discipline. That's why I use the word problems. Put your problems in perspective. When he says discipline here, he means those adversities that come into your life, those hardships, those problems that are introduced into your life that you say, this is really difficult. This is really challenging right now. How do I get through this? He's going to say that is a version that is God bringing discipline into your life. He's using those things to train you and grow you and do something with them in your life. So that's our message this morning. How do we understand and endure God's discipline when he brings it in our life? How do we deal with divine discipline? It really is about perspective. You have to have the right perspective, the right mindset when God brings that discipline into your life, when he introduces those hardships in your life. You got to have your head right about them is really what he says to these people. So let's start with this and look at the first point. How do we get our head right about divine discipline and our problems? Divine discipline is evidence of something. It's actually evidence that you are God's child. So look at verses 5 through 8. He says here, have you forgotten, or, and have you forgotten is a question in my Bible, but I actually believe it could equally be translated. He's actually saying to them, you have forgotten. He's telling them there's something, dear Christian, that you've long forgotten out of your mind. The word forgotten literally means completely, utterly forgotten. Not just kind of forgot a little. They forgot everything. And here's what he says they forgot. He quotes to them Proverbs chapter 3, 11 and 12. He says, listen, you guys should know your Bible. Well, you have forgotten your Bible. Because here's something the Bible says in verse 5 and 6. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. The Lord disciplines whom he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. So he says, you need to recall something that God has said 
long ago, as far away back as the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. It's a principle here he reminds them of. What's the principle? If you're one of God's children, he will introduce discipline in your life. Because he hates you? No, because he loves you. So there's a comfort when you're going through challenges and hardships. The comfort in a weird way is, God loves me. I'm going through this because I'm one of God's children. Here in verses 5 and 6, let's look at it for a second. He quotes again Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. And to break it down a little, notice it says, Do not take lightly the discipline from the Lord, nor be weary when corrected by him. So he points out there's two errors that a person can fall into when they feel like God's putting the pressure in their life. On the one hand, they can take it lightly. That means to sort of arrogantly brush it off and say, I don't care what God's doing in my life. I don't need him. I'm not going to have anything to do with that. There's sort of this arrogance of putting yourself above God and just not even caring about it at all. The other side of the coin, though, is to sort of endure God's discipline and think, God hates me. Like, God is doing this because he just doesn't love me anymore. He would say, listen, you can't make one of those two errors. You can't fall into those extremes. Think about when a parent punishes their child. The, the child could think, man, my mom or dad hate me. That's why they're doing this. He says, no, you can't think like that. They do it because they love you. On the flip side, there are children, unfortunately, we would just call them extremely spoiled. Their parent never did anything to discipline them. That's sort of the uh, had no regard for discipline. He says both are bad. If a parent never disciplines the child, that's bad for the child. If they over-discipline and overcorrect to the point the child's like, they just hate me, you can't fall into either extreme. Got to have a balance here. He says, well, that is what God does, though. God will introduce discipline into his children's lives because he loves them. It's not too hard. It's not too little. It's just the right amount that they need. He says God will correctively punish. My translation says chastise. Some actually say scourge or whip. It is the literal word for a, a whipping and a beating. But that's not what he means is that God beats people. He means that God will use punishment if need be to correct the bad behavior. Why? Because again, he loves them. So again, we're not to take God's discipline in our lives too lightly. We're also not to think that God hates us. We're to see it with his perspective, not our own perspective. Well, what perspective should we see? Again, look at the end of verse 6. He says, the Lord disciplines whom he loves. The perspective to have about problems in our lives is to say, if I'm going through this challenge before me, it must be because God loves me, I'm one of his children, and he wants to use it to grow me because he cares about me. He's not walking me through this hardship because he hates me. He's not walking me through this hardship because he's abandoned me. No, he's using it for my benefit, for my gain. So the challenge is to not doubt that God cares about you when you're going through problems. It's to see that you're going through it because you are one of his children. So that's the proper mindset to have about your problems to start with. To say, if I'm going through something and I can tell that God's probably brought this into my life, it's because he cares about me. He loves me as one of his children. The Hebrews seem to have forgotten that. They needed to be reminded. So again, that's what I said earlier, and I just want to remind us. Don't think for a second that if you're a good, faithful Christian, that God will never let anything bad come into your life. In fact, Hebrews would say sometimes it's the opposite. God may absolutely bring something bad into your life. Why? Because he loves you. Because he knows you need to go through that to be trained and grown and to be more holy like Christ. So that's how to get the proper mindset. 
verse 7, again he says, God disciplines you since you are his child. He asks this sort of question here. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. And look at the rhetorical question. What son is there whom his father does not discipline? So there's this comfort he's trying to give to these Christians going through problems to say, if God loves you and you're his child, he disciplines you. He says, think about this with earthly parents. What parent is there that won't discipline their child if they love them? The answer is, well, of course a parent disciplines their child if they love them. That's the whole point. You want them to be who you know they should be. If you never cared about your kid, you'd say, go play in the yellow line of the highway. I don't care. You'd say, go steal and lie and cheat and do whatever you want. I don't care. But no, when you say, here's the rules, here's the law, here's what you can and can't do because you know who they need to be and how they need to be. That's his point with God. God does that with his children. He corrects, he disciplines, he trains because he loves us. Here's the the warning, though. Look at verse 8. It's a very bad warning. He says there's actually a danger if you don't encounter discipline. In verse 8, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, meaning all of God's children, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So there's a, a big danger, a warning here. The person who says, I have had just an easy coasting time in my life with God. Like I can look at the 20, 30, however many years, no problems, no issues whatsoever. Then if they were to say, if you were to press them deeper. But can you say that from day one of coming to faith in Christ and now you've grown spiritually? And if it's like, well, I mean, you know, things have just been kind of normal. They've been kind of easy. He would say here, listen, there could be a great danger to that. Because it could be that that person has never gone through hardships and challenges because they're not one of God's children. Because if God loves you and you're one of his children, he will introduce discipline in some form or fashion. But the person who can say, I don't know that I've ever felt like God's done this for me, then he would say that that may mean, very harshly put, you're an illegitimate child of God. Illegitimate means you can claim you're a child, but you're not a child. It's a, it was a legal term for when someone adopted a child. So that child was not their biologically born child, but legally, in every sense of the law, they had all rights as a child. They got the inheritance. They took over everything after the father or the mother passed. So he uses a term to say the opposite, though. You could say that you're one of God's children, but you're illegitimate. You have no legal rights nor claims to God as your heavenly father. It's a great danger, a great warning, because all of God's children will participate in some form of discipline, training from the Lord. So that's the first perspective, though, to have about going through our problems in life. God, to see them as not God-caused, but as that God sort of allowed them into our lives. But why would he do that? They're a form of instruction and training, a form of discipline. Why? Because he loves you. And if you're going through them, then the first mindset to have is, God cares about me, therefore I am where I am. I'm going through what I'm going through. And again, it's weird to say that, right? Like we would think God loves me, so no problem. No, God loves you, so you may have problems because he wants to use them to perfect you. The last perspective then to have about our problems is to actually see them as an advantage. So that's his second point in verses 9 through 11. Divine discipline is for your advantage. So the first one is to see them as a comfort. You're a part of God's family. You're his child. God lovingly disciplines and trains those whom he loves. 
If you're not under discipline and never trained by God, then you may not be one of his children. But the second thing he says, if you're going through a divine discipline, have your mind right about it and say this, it's to my gain. It's to my advantage. It's not going to hurt me. It's going to make me better. Verse 9, he says, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits, meaning God, and live? So he sets up here this idea, saying, listen, you need to get your head right about why God would introduce discipline into the life of his children. It's not to toy with them. It's for a purpose, and it's actually for their gain, for their advantage. God's purpose, as I said, is to make us holy. That's the purpose. And how he introduces this is notice he sets up a metaphor, sort of. He's going to compare God as a heavenly father to earthly fathers. He says, so follow this metaphor here with me for a moment. He says, if you look here at verse 10, for they, that's the earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a short time. So that's the first key. Their discipline was temporary. I mean, it's sad to say, right? But if parents, our own parents, we may love and respect, but one day they grow old and die. So they have a short time in our lives. But he compares and says, but God, on the other hand, he disciplines for an eternity. He trains for eternal perspectives. Our earthly parents, as good as they may have been, they only had a temporary effect on us. God has an eternal effect. But then notice he also says in verse 10, that they disciplined for us a short time as it seemed best to them. That's another key. Earthly parents discipline according to their standards, and that may be good or bad. They, earthly parents discipline with their earthly limited human understanding. And they, we do the best we can, right? I mean, parent, we know as parents we've made mistakes with our kids. We know it. But we can look back hopefully and say, but I still did the best I could with what I had, the information at the time that I had. I did what I could. That's his, kind of his point. They did a good job, but it was limited. They only could do what they could do, and they only could do what they thought was best to them. But he says, God, however, what's his perspective? He has all wisdom, all knowledge. He has an eternal perspective. So if God introduces discipline, he really knows what we need because his knowledge never fails. It's not limited. Our earthly parents had limited knowledge. So and then he says in the, the third way here, if you think about earthly parents, we still respected them for it in some way. So then his point is, if we would listen to earthly moms and dads who are limited in their knowledge and ability to parent, and they can only do it for a short time, if we're willing to sort of submit ourselves to them, how much more should we be willing to submit ourselves to our Heavenly Father's discipline in our lives? Because His is greater. It grows us for eternity. It has all knowledge and all wisdom. It's not going to ever be an error the way God disciplines us. He says in verse 10 again, but He, that's God, disciplines us for our good. That word good literally means for your gain, your advantage. That's why I said have the right mindset about your problems. Well, what's the right mindset? They can be to your advantage if you'll let God do them with you through that in your life. They can be to your help, so to speak. They can grow you. But it sort of takes us letting God do the work through those problems, those hardships. Rather than bemoaning them and regretting them, we should have the perspective of, like verse 10 says, trying to get through them and endure them with the mindset of somehow, some way, God 
has introduced this in my life for my gain, for my advantage. Well, what's the advantage? He says it at the end of verse 10, that we may share his holiness. That's why I've been saying over and over, and that's where I get the idea. God's goal as your heavenly father is not your happiness. He wants you to be happy, yes. I don't want to suggest that he just wants you sad all the time. But what I mean by happiness is, again, it's not to put you in a bubble and you have no problems. God's goal for you is verse 10, that you share in his holiness. His goal is for you to look more like Christ. The word share in holiness literally means God's essential nature as a holy being. He's without sin. He's holy. So why in the world does God let problems come into our lives to make you more like him? To grow you through that so you overcome more sins. So you know how to deal with other problems and trials and sufferings to perfect you more and more. I've used this analogy a lot and I'll keep using it as long as I'm here. But anytime I read scripture and it talks about ideas of adversity and challenges, my mind always thinks of athletes who train or weightlifters in the gym. They have to introduce a small amount of pain and pressure on their muscles or the muscles will never grow. If a weightlifter says, I'm lifting 200 today and I'd like to lift 250 by next year and they only ever lift 200 over and over and over, they never add any more weight. Guess how much they will lift next year? 200. They will never have grown. I mean, give or take, maybe a little more. But they'll not reach 250, I promise you. How do they get there? This workout, let me add five pounds. It hurts, I'm sore. But next time, let me add five more. Five more added up four and five and six times. Now you're talking 20, 30, 40 pounds that that person has been able to add to what they could do before. I use that analogy again to illustrate this idea. There has to be a small amount of pressure and pain introduced. Then the growth is stimulated. It works the same spiritually. God will not just always let you coast. He will introduce the pressure a little. Then you're forced to use all your spiritual muscles to depend on him and pray harder and grow more and lean on him more. Now you're really moving. That's why God would do that as a lovingly, heavenly father. It's to your gain. It's to your advantage. Again, that's the irony about the problems in our lives as Christians. If we will let God use them, he will turn them to our advantage. How? To grow you, to be more holy. Look at the last part of verse 11. He admits something here. He says, look, for the moment, he says, he's kind of saying in layman's terms, I, I get it, okay? For the moment, when you're going through the hardship and the problems, it's not fun. It's, it doesn't bring you pleasure. That's what he says in verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. So he's admitting the human side of this, like, like, look, guys, I get it, okay? What I'm saying to you, it sounds easy to do, but when you're in the midst of a problem, there's, there's no sense in saying, oh, this is all fun. No, it's not fun. It, it hurts. It's hard. But look at the end of verse 11. But he says, you have to think about the results. He says, later, after you've gone through the discipline, later on, after the pain is over, the pressure's gone, 
it yields for you while you're leaning while you're leaning while you're leaning on 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 while you're more trusting God 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 more God more God more God more serve more serve more serve more serving more serving 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 God serving God serving God serving God more serving God more serving God more serving God more then he says what will happen is you now have more abilities than you had before. What does it look like? He calls it peaceful fruit of righteousness. I think he's just being generic to say this. If you let discipline run its course through your life, if you let God have his work in your life through those problems, through those hardships, the gain you get is you're now trained to be a more righteous person. You now experience more peace in your life. Even peace through the problems. You can now face an issue before you and you say, you know what, this isn't fun, I don't like this, but God's gotten me through far worse than this. I can get through that. I think that's his idea. He got you through one thing, he can get you through the next thing. There's peace, there's comfort. There's, there's now then you have grown in your spiritual abilities to follow the Lord. That's the righteousness part. You're, you're able to say, I've gone through this situation as bad as it was. I gave it to God. I endured through it. I trusted God through it. And now you look back and say, look how God grew me spiritually. I talk more like Jesus. I think more like Jesus. I've overcome this sin now. I don't battle with that anymore because I've overcome it. I've been trained. Those are the different sort of things that God can do with the discipline. Let me share with you James 1. I think he sums up neatly this whole message that I've been trying to share with you. James 1 chapter 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That's ironic. James says, when you face a trial, that's what I'm saying by a problem, a hardship, discipline. When you face that, James says, what should you do? Count it joy. How can I count it joy? Because it's a problem. But here's why he says, verse 3, For you know that the testing of your faith it produces something in you, steadfastness. That's more endurance. Verse 4, let that endurance or steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect. You're complete. You're not lacking anything anymore. Why does God introduce things into our lives? To perfect you. There's something you're missing. There's something you're lacking. And God's going to introduce the problem, the hardship, the struggle, because he knows that that is what you need so when you're on the other side, you're more complete. You're more like Christ. That gap has been filled, so to speak. How do you get through it? James says, simply, verse 5, if you're going through a trial, a trouble, ask God for wisdom to get you through it. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. He'll give it to you generously, to anyone. Verse 6, but you have to ask in faith without doubting. You have to trust that God is going to get you through that situation, that trial. You have to trust that God has a wise purpose for it. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, I'll read this. Paul says, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory 
So let me stress this again. Paul says, whatever affliction you're going through in this earthly life, he calls it light and momentary. As hard as it seems to you, Paul says the eternal perspective of it, it's light and momentary. And then he says, it's preparing you for something. An eternal weight of glory beyond all compare. That's why God introduces the pressure in the lives of his believers. We have to keep our head right about our problems, though. God will use them to train us, to grow us, to be more like Christ, to be more holy. You have to face divine discipline, those problems, with this mindset that you're going through it because God loves you, not because he doesn't care for you. You're going through it because God has something else he wants to do with you and through you. But he knows you need to go through that thing to get you to the other side, to perfect you, to grow you. My final charge is, heed the warning of verse 8 though. Don't be an illegitimate child of God. What does that mean? Truly this morning, do you know that you are a child of God? Do you know that you have an inheritance in God's family? How does someone get that? Only through being adopted in God's family. The Bible all the time in the New Testament uses adoptive legal terms. Paul says over and over that through Christ, when you put faith in Christ, you've been adopted into the family of God. That's how now you become a legitimate son in God's family. That would be my charge. Have you been adopted into God's family through faith in Christ? Do you know he's forgiven you of your sins? Can you walk out here today saying, I know I'm saved, I'm forgiven, I'm in God's family, and now I know that he cares for me and he may introduce trials and hardships to grow me. I'm going to pray, give us a time to reflect, and as Bruce and them come. Lord, thank you for giving us your word so we can read challenging passages with ideas that we think, Lord, humanly, that we should never have to go through problems, but you say, because you love us, you may introduce the hardship to grow us, to develop us. Lord, I ask you give us all the right mindset of how to deal with our problems as we leave here today. And again, I stress, if someone does not know Christ as their Savior, would they feel such conviction today that they can't leave here without getting that straight? In Jesus' name I pray.